The final report into the federal government's uh, extraordinary, unprecedented use of the Emergencies Act uh, in response to the protests that we saw in Ottawa last year, one year ago, has been public for, well, almost a week now. And the analysis and the reaction continues. Ultimately, as you know, Justice Rouleau determined that the government was, in fact, justified in using the act. That was the that was the big finding. That was the overarching one. But there's a lot more that goes into it. It's 2,000 pages long. Um, of course, not a lot of agreement on that ultimate finding. Minds were made up long ago. And there's nothing that will change that for many, many people. But the inquiry itself had to be done. It's part of the legislation. There was no choice. Um, and we are a country of laws. And that is the law. If you're going to invoke this act, you must have a public inquiry that finishes with a report within a year of the act being invoked. That's the law. And as I say, that's what we're going to talk about here is the rule of law and how it all fits into this, the whole mess, the report, and where we go going forward. And joining us to talk about that, we have Jocelyn Stacy, who is an associate professor at the Peter A. Allard School of Law, University of British Columbia. Uh, Jocelyn, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. And we also have Nomi Claire Lazar, who is an associate professor at the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs, University of Ottawa. Nomi, thank you for your time today. Thanks very much for the invitation. Uh, Jocelyn, let's start with you right off the hop here. Findings aside, we'll get to that in a second. The very fact, as I said, that this inquiry took place and a report was produced in the end, that's important, right? I mean, that is following the quote-unquote rule of law in this country. Absolutely. Uh, the Emergencies Act is actually quite unique in the number of mechanisms that it has in place to constrain the use of federal government power in the instance of an emergency. So there are constraints up front in terms of a definition, actually many definitions that need to be sort of clearly referred to and uh, government action needs to be uh, justified in light of the fact that the events sort of meet the threshold in the definition. There's, of course, judicial review that can follow after the fact if there's a court challenge, which has been in this case as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have parliamentary oversight, um, so Parliament can revoke a declaration of emergency. And then we have uh, an inquiry as um, you know, mandatory um, feature that looks back uh, and, and sort of holds to account um, the use of, uh, of power in the case of an emergency. And, of course, we saw the report that came out um, last week, late last week, last Friday, sort of examining all of those things that you talked about, 2,000 pages, very in-depth. Um, Noe, let's go back to sort of, it, it's not just about whether or not the Act was invoked. It also examined how we got to the point where the Act was even being considered. And, again, it examined how the laws of this country sort of were followed, weren't followed, and ultimately some of the problems. and. In fact, failures in following the rule of law led us to where we got to the point where the act was even considered, right? That's quite right. So one thing it's important for uh, people to understand is that just because something is a crisis, that doesn't make it a public emergency. Right. So if something becomes a, an event becomes a public emergency if government can't meet its obligations to the public uh, because of something that's happening. So, for example, uh, you know, that we know the Red River floods regularly in Manitoba, uh, but when it floods, that's not necessarily a public emergency because Manitoba is ready in most cases. So there are levees, there's sandbagging. So the, the crisis doesn't become a public emergency because the government does its job. So this was a perfect example of a situation in which various levels of government did not do their job. And so a situation that didn't have to become a public emergency, in fact, uh, did. And so that, that's something we should all be conscious of. And certainly 
the uh, Rouleau report in its backward-looking recommendations uh, does uh, make a, a range of suggestions to hopefully prevent that specific situation from taking place again in the future. Uh, but I do think that we, as Canadians, ought to take the opportunity not to just look at back at the situation that just unfolded, but to take take the opportunity to think about the crises that may uh, arise next and make sure that our emergency institutions are ready for the future and not just responsive to this crisis that just passed. I think you make such a good point is the fact of let's not get to that point. <laughs> let's take a look mm-hmm. at why we did with this particular crisis. And if we break it right down, uh, Jocelyn, you can take a look at, and we know that some of the protesters weren't entirely lawful. Um, there's a case to be made that the enforcement itself infringed on lawful protest, and and the justice made that point in his report. And then you've got the fact that law enforcement didn't enforce the law. So when we talk about this through the eye of how does the law fit into this conversation, it was failed in in many, many ways, correct? I think that's right. And so, um, you know, Nomi and I uh, wrote an article in the conversation because we wanted to highlight this, this fact that actually there's quite a lot of nuance in this report in terms of the many sort of missteps and failures of a whole range of actors, right? And so thinking about um, just in terms of the fundamental freedoms that were at stake, one of the points that that we make and that that comes through very clearly in in Justice Rulo's report um, is the fact that fundamental freedoms around rights to uh, protest and to dissent peacefully are vital in a democracy. He's very clear about that. And we need to be clear that those freedoms were at stake uh, in the use of the Emergencies Act but also that the convoy and the blockades evolved well past that, right? Yeah. And so actually there were a number of of actors that were sort of all involved in, you know, not actually being very clear, right, about uh, the distinction between the two, right? So lumping everybody together, right? So convoy and protest participants and organizers, right, really sort of flying the banner of we're exercising our fundamental freedoms when in fact, you know, that wasn't, it may have started out in some cases in that way, but, um, but it became something that was quite unlawful, you know, further, further along and really infringed on, on the rights and freedoms of others along, along the way. And at the same time, media and government leaders, right, portraying the convoy again in monolithic terms, lumping right. everybody together, right. And, and not sort of recognizing the fact that there really were, um, you know, fundamental freedoms that were at play here. And so one of the things that does come through in, in the report is, um, is a very close look at the measures that were put in place. And so, you know, Justice Rouleau gives sort of a qualified, he says, sort of a qualified, um, you know, approval of right. the measures, the emergency measures that were in play. But he gives some, you know, re- recommend, recommendations or reflections really on the way in which those could have been more tailored, more tailored to protect those, those freedoms. I think he said he he reluctantly um, said mm-hmm. that it was uh, it was justified, and I I'm wondering if I can if I can ask you to push a little further on that. When you talk about how law enforcement and media and politicians and uh, talked in in monolithic terms, you're right. You're absolutely right. I'm wondering. Is there anything in the report that sort of gives us some indication as to how that could, how more nuance could be introduced when you're dealing with a situation like that? It's got to be difficult, right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Um, and I mean, so a lot of the recommendations in the report go to policing, and so yeah. I'm not a policing expert, but I do think that one of the messages that that comes through in in the report is that you know police really are there to um, actually support right uh, the exercise of these freedoms, and they need to be 
prepared, right, to um, to facilitate lawful, peaceful protest, right? But they also need to be prepared to step in when, when things cross the line. So there are a number of recommendations, almost half of the recommendations in the report go to um, policing and, and the changes that need to be made uh, moving forward. And I think a lot of the breakdown um, happens uh, between governments and between government agencies as well. And so Part of that sort of lumping together is is a communication failure, right? A communication yes. failure across different levels of government and, and different agencies um, as well. Which was pretty clearly laid out in the report, too. Um, mm-hmm. Nomi, ultimately, the goal here uh, and part of the process is to make sure, like you said, um, what do we do next time? You know, we can learn from this. Did we get the proper framework from this report in terms of how the law works and what we need to do to make sure that we're in a better position should this ever get to this point again? Did we get that in the report? We got a lot uh, that would uh, that that would definitely be helpful, particularly if this convoy crisis uh, type event took place again. But I think it's a, this is really an important juncture, looking ahead to the yeah. possibility of more climate uh, uh, natural disasters, for example, but also the complex political complexities that will arise from uh, from climate change. To think about whether our uh, uh, our laws are ready. So there are, I think, a few things that. Uh, that the report did not touch on because that was not part of the commission's mandate that we as Canadians should take the opportunity to think about. Uh, so at the federal level, uh, for example, and this you know comes back to Jocelyn's point about the uh, you know finding that the measures were only sort of partly justified. I would love to see an amendment in the Emergencies Act that requires the government to state why a particular order or measure is necessary. So that's a legal requirement that the orders and measures be necessary, and it's a legal requirement that government table those orders before Parliament. But currently, they don't have to explain what the measure is for, and that can lead to some uh, fudging and and, uh, obfuscation. So that's one area that I think where I think the law can be very much tightened up. And if we're going to be looking at more complex emergencies going forward that maybe have several parts, maybe there's a natural disaster, but there's also a political aspect, et cetera, uh, that uh, we want to see that tightened up to help preserve the rule of law. Uh, I, I also think it's a good moment, even though. Uh, the report does not really touch on this, and this is also Jocelyn's area of expertise, that uh, that Canadians turn their attention to the provincial emergency legislation, because while we, you know, we've been paying a lot, we've been saying, oh, it's unprecedented that we have this federal state of emergency, provincial states of emergency are actually very common, and they're usually managed under laws that do not have those layers of protection that Jocelyn was speaking about mm-hmm. earlier. So the provincial legislation is much closer to that old War Measures Act, uh, and that should scare us as Canadians. We should be putting pressure on our, our provincial legislatures to uh, pay attention to that before those emergency uh, powers are, are needed again in, in the climate era. Um, I, I got a question from a listener. I don't know if either of you know the answer to this, but it's an interesting question. In terms of the way that the report had to be done, the inquiry had to be held, Was it, does it have to be a single justice overseeing it? Could you have a panel? I mean, or is that spelled out in the legislation, too, that this is what must be done and this is how it's to be done? Or is that sort of open for interpretation? And is there a better way? So- uh, so under the uh, so it, it, is, it is the provision is quite vague uh, under the current legislation, but this commission of inquiry was set up in what we might call the usual way. Okay. So it it, it has the same structure that uh, commissions of inquiry into various other things 
would would have had. Now, there are some recommendations in the report with respect to, uh, uh, you know, making clearer what the structure should be going forward. For example, uh, Canada does have a law that governs how commissions of inquiry should be undertaken. And so one of uh, Commissioner Rudeau's suggestions was that uh, the Emergencies Act refers specifically to that law so that any future commission takes, you know, is legally required to take the same form and has the same powers as any other commission of inquiry. Fascinating conversation. I really appreciate both of you being here today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having thanks us. For the invitation. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. That's Jocelyn Stacy and Nomi Claire Lazar, two uh, legal scholars who uh, recently put out a po- uh, piece on, you can find it on the conversation, talking about how the rule of law fits in. That's what this needs to come down to, right? We are, ultimately are a country of laws, and I, I believe that the rule of law should reign supreme. So uh, it's a really good exercise to sort of take a look at what we did, how we did it, and how the rule of law was or was not followed by all parties. Uh, that should be the default. What does the law say? Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.